lies ahead and the opportunity to come and preach the word here this morning to you all, with you all, and worship the Lord together, it's a joy. It's a joy to be able to do that. Uh, Kathy and I are going in opposite directions here today. Uh, I got home last night from our missions team and she had to get one of our kids to, they're going to, I guess with Chick-fil-A today, I guess they got a tay up at Hershey Park or something like that. And so she's over that way. And then from here, I head over to Hilltop Christian Fellowship for a missions meeting over there. So you can be in prayer for our family. We are full swing into our mission schedule. And uh, it was a joy to serve this past week at Twin Rocks Bible Camp. And uh, you folks have been down there. I take all my teams to see the great climbing wall that you built. I don't know how tall that thing is. It's got to be 25, 30 feet, I guess, up there. Nobody has climbed it yet on any of my teams. They just kind of look at it. And I show them the little, little thing there built by Cornerstone. And Mike and Lima, they send their love to you all. They, they tell every one of my teams that come down here how you folks helped them when that major storm came through. Remember how all those trees fell down through the holler there and they were blocked in? Well, you folks helped get those trees cut out of there and they were able to, to kind of get back out of there again. And uh, believe it or not, uh, you remember the road that leads up to their house on the camp? Okay. Well, that completely washed out. And so they were four months not being able to get vehicles up to their house until the state came in and, and, and fixed that. Uh, and so they're able to get back up there now, but it was a challenge. But uh, they often talk about you folks and what a blessing you were. We had an amazing time while we were there. Uh, just tell you a little bit about it. Uh, every team that I have taken down there, uh, Pastor Mike and Lima never ask for anything for themselves. Uh, they always want to help out the camp, and that's great. We were there. To, we, we did a lot of things around the camp. But I said to them, I said, uh, look, we want to do something for you. What is something you need done? And so Mike said, well, I'll defer that one. <laughs> and Lima said, uh, she said, you know, I have a grape arbor that's in sorry shape. She said, it just, I really would love a new grape arbor. And so I wish I could show you a picture of it. But we built a 30-foot long grape arbor. Beautiful. And uh, now she's able to grow because she uses those grapes to teach John chapter 15 about the vine and the branches. And she teaches all her little campers about how to dress the vines and what happens when you don't dress the vines. And, and so she said, I would love to just be able to have a grape arbor to do that. We also replaced a bunch of uh, benches. We are also, I have another team going there next month and I have another team going the following month. And so this team kind of got some things ready for the next team to come in. We're going to uh, completely take a trailer that's on there that's just kind of, do you know that place in your home where you uh, say, where are we going to put this? I don't know, stick it in there. Well, they have a trailer like that. And let me tell you, it was like, a, it was like I felt like American Pickers going through that thing. Uh, we found all kinds of stuff. We found toothpaste from, I, I think it was like when they first made toothpaste. It, was, it still had charcoal in it or something, I don't know. Uh, but, but, but we found all kinds, but we completely gutted that thing and uh, built some steps going up to it to kind of help them out. We replaced 
uh, benches that were all rotted, that where they sit around the fire, we replaced all those, and, and uh, this next team is going to come in, we're going to build a, a porch on the back side of that trailer, and it's about a 20 foot drop off of that back side of the trailer down into the holler, so we're going to have to do some structural engineering, they say, I guess, we'll have to do that, so we'll figure that out, but uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, thank you for your prayers. Please pray as we continue to serve. We're in full swing with our mission schedule. I also want to give you an update on our grandson, Porter. And uh, many of you folks have been praying for him. We can't thank you enough. He had a very, very important cardiologist appointment up at CHOP uh, just this past week. Uh, my daughter called me and told me how it went. Uh, it went very, very well. Uh, they've figured some things out there. He doesn't have to go back to the cardiologist for another two years. But one of the things that they're trying to get worked out is uh, his thermostat in his body does not work. So uh, if he is out in heat like it's been this last week, he really wasn't outside a whole lot. Uh, he came over to the house to swim just a little bit. But here's the problem. Uh, his thermostat, not only doesn't it work when his body gets elevated in temperature, but when he's in the pool and he starts getting a little bit cold, well, he can go into hypothermia very quickly. So it's a balancing act of just trying to keep him cool, uh, and that's going to be a lifelong problem. And so uh, there'll, there'll be no beach trips. Or they're not allowed to do that, uh, just kind of those things. But you can keep him in prayer. He seems to be doing quite well. He doesn't even really know he's sick. Um, he's still on his feeding tube. He's still gaining weight. Matter of fact, he just turned four, and so uh, over it, he calls me Happy. I think I told you all. It's my name, Happy. And so he says, Happy, I have a little, every house has him. You, you, you guys remember when you're growing up and you get stood up against the door jam and your parents measured you on the door jam. Now they don't make door jams big enough for you guys, okay? The echoes have to have big door jams, I guess, but... Porter, every year, I, I only measure him on his birthday. So on his birthday, he, first thing he said when he came in the house, not about gifts, not about cake, happy, can you measure me? And he grew about four inches since the last time. He was all excited about that. So thank you for your prayers for him. And, and uh, I'll be honest with you, we cannot go where we go and do what we do without a team of people surrounding us in prayer, and we need that. And so I put some prayer cards on that back table back there, uh, so please grab one of those and pray for our family. Well, it's a joy to be here. I always enjoy the opportunity to cover for Pastor Jeff today and, and uh, your family, and so it's just an honor to be here. Well, let me transition here. So the following story that uh, I'm going to unfold to you took place years ago when Kathy and I were very young believers in the Lord. Uh, it's a story, I, I wish it had a happy ending. It's not a happy ending story. Uh, it's a story that left many wounded, left many shocked, and uh, tragically, tragically, over the years as I have pastored, I have seen this story played out in different ways with just different people. Same story, just different faces, different people. And the story in itself reveals a truth, and it is that truth that I want us to get to here this morning. You see, Kathy and I had not been married uh, very long. We were uh, stationed in Germany. I was in the Air Force, and uh, 
Uh, we were in Germany, and I was stationed at Ramstein Air Force Base, and we found a really, really good church there. As a matter of fact, our pastor, I am still in contact with every week, and that's been a long time ago. He and I communicate every week. He's a mentor in my life. And uh, uh, matter of fact, um, I've gone over and preached his missions conference for him. He's just a great man of God. Love him very much, him and his wife. And in that church, we had incredible leaders. We had a great uh, uh, deacon board, and uh, our church was growing. Uh, we had great Sunday school teachers. We had good kid teachers. We had good adult teachers. And, and uh, things were just, from an outward appearance, they just really were going in a very good direction. And I remember those leaders really set an example to us. And as a matter of fact, uh, still to this day, one of the older couples, and I'm not going to put an age on older because uh, when I was younger, I used to think like 50 was old right? I don't think that anymore. Uh, I, don't think, I don't even think 60 and 70s old anymore. I'm like 100s old, okay? But I remember we had that older couple. And listen to me, older couples. I want you to listen to me. You do not know how much you are influencing these younger couples around you. Because they are growing up in a world where marriage doesn't work. Right? And they're watching you. And this couple kind of just latched onto us and, and taught us a lot. As a matter of fact, they're now retired. They live down in Florida. Their health is not the best, but we still communicate every month. They're just that kind of a couple. Lovely, lovely people. And uh, I remember our church had at that time at a deacon board, and one of our uh, deacons that we really looked up to, him and his wife were friends with another couple who were incredible Sunday school teachers. They were just fantastic. And uh, these couples spent a lot of time together. And uh, one thing that lacked in these couples' relationship was something called boundaries. They did not have any boundaries. And because there were no boundaries in place, the deacon and his wife and the wife of the Sunday school teacher made some very wrong choices and uh, ended up in a very adulterous relationship. Uh, that just didn't happen overnight. Uh, matter of fact, it was way under the radar. Uh, this had been something that had been going on for quite some time. And uh, uh, way under the radar, the pastor and the other church leaders and I remember I went to Wes, his name was Wes, and I would love to say that they got things worked out, but still to this day they do not have things worked out, and they've chosen to go their separate ways. But uh, I remember I can't walk around because I'm on that film camera thing there. Uh, people will wonder what happened to the pastor when they, they go over there. But I, re I went to Wes, and I just needed to have a man talk with Wes. Because I was a young guy, and I'm just married a few years, and I don't want this to happen. And I said to Wes, Wes, man, I've looked up to you. You've been a friend to me. I had no idea. How did this happen? And listen to me, the words that he said were etched in the back of my brain, and I have never 
ever forgotten. Here's what he said. He looked me right in the eye and he said, Sean, you tell me, how could something so wrong feel so right? That's what he said to me. Well, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the truth of the matter is, because there were no boundaries in place, the hearts of two of these of God's children became ensnared in sinful thoughts, and sinful thoughts gave over to sinful actions. And when it came out, the church was wounded, their families were shocked, they were devastated, and everybody involved, the ripple effects of that just kind of rippled throughout the entire church. It was, a, it was like a tidal wave. And the truth of the matter is, your heart will lie to you in an instant, and as believers, you and I must constantly be on guard to guard our hearts. To guard our hearts. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to spend some time there. Proverbs chapter 4. And uh, I want to look at verses 20 to 27. Proverbs chapter 4, uh, verses 20 uh, to 27. I want to read those, and then we're just going to kind of camp there. We'll look at some other verses as well, but this is kind of be uh, this will be our main text for this morning. Notice what the scriptures say in Proverbs chapter four and verse 20 uh, to 27. My son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of your what? Heart. For they are life unto all those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a forward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Let your eyes look right on and let your eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of your feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. The writer of this proverb is King Solomon and in the first seven chapters of Proverbs, he is writing to his sons to, to give them fatherly advice. I, I kind of imagine it like, like what I do with my son. Uh, from time to time, I will sit on the end of my bed and I'll, I'll tell my son Frank, Hey, son, come on over here. I want to I just talk to you. And, and I'll just have him sit right there next to me on the bed. And, and we have some talks about life and about the struggles that as a young man he will face and, and just about life. I wish my father would have done that with me. But I'm determined to do that with my son. And then here's what he's doing. He's giving this fatherly advice, and this instruction was passed on to him by his father, David, and now he's passing it on to his sons. Unfortunately, unfortunately, later in Solomon's life, uh, he did not heed the very instruction uh, that he gave his sons, and, and his relationship with many, many women became his downfall. Imagine that the wisest man in all the earth died a fool. He was the wisest. Uh, he could have had anything. Remember that whole conversation between him and God? And, and all he asked for was wisdom. And God said, not only will I give you wisdom, I'll give you riches, I'll give you kingdoms. Uh, but over Solomon's life, uh, he didn't finish well. And listen to me this morning. It, it really doesn't matter how you start in life, but it really does matter how you will finish. 
Because you might not have a very good start, but be determined to finish well. I know people that have started well and have finished terrible, just like Solomon. And so he's giving this advice to his son, and, and he's, he's talking about, in this passage, he identifies four things, four principles for guarding the heart. Notice the first. Uh, it's coming. It's through there somewhere. Hit that button. Maybe can you... No? Ah, there it is. You got it. Okay. Recognize the treasure. Look again at verse 21 and 22. Notice, recognize the treasure. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto all those that find them and health to all their flesh. Verse 21 says, let them not depart. Uh, another version says, above all else, this, this communicates priority, the priority of guarding the heart. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, is communicating that above power, above riches, above position, above everything that the world says is important, guard the heart. And then he says in verse 22, they are life. So they are, they are they, the priority, right? But then they are life, and that communicates promise. So the priority, recognize the treasure, the priority and the promise, they are life. And when your heart is right, that brings life, according to this verse, more abundantly. More abundantly. And the text identifies that guarding your heart is more important than anything else. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about the heart, didn't he? He had a lot to say about the heart. Uh, matter of fact, in Mark 12, verse 30, he said this, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, right? With all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And when we love God like this, we're guarding the treasure of our heart. Uh, look what else Jesus had to say about the heart. Keep your hand there in Proverbs. Go with me over to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. I want you to notice here. Matthew chapter 15. And I want you to notice uh, verse 18 and 19. You know, Jesus never really beat around the bush. You didn't have to wonder. I wonder where he's coming from. Notice what he says here in Matthew chapter 15. Notice verse 18 and 19. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from where? The heart. And they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. That's what he says. And they come from... The heart. Jesus taught that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We're commanded to hide God's word in our heart. We're commanded to trust the Lord with all of our heart. And remember, remember the story when, when Samuel uh, uh, was choosing a king to replace Saul? Remember that whole story? And, and Samuel kind of shows up to Jesse and, and, and he says, Hey, Jesse, uh, Saul is no longer going to be king. But one of your boys is, so bring your boys. And so Jesse does. He, he brings his boys, except David, because it's not Jesse, it's not gonna be David. And so he leaves David out in the field. And so he brings the boys and he lines them up, and Samuel gets his horn of oil. He goes, and, and in Samuel's mind, it's gotta be the oldest. Man, he's handsome, he's strong, he's gonna be a king for sure. And he goes to lift. 
the little horn of oil. And God says, nope, not that one. And he does that all the way down. He gets to the last one, and God's still saying no. And then Samuel says to Jesse, did, did you bring all the boys? Well, well David, David's out there in the field, but it, Jesse says, we're not eating until you bring them. And so he brings them. And sure enough, and remember after that whole thing, he anoints them, there's that little statement that God says, man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Right? Because the truth of the matter is, you and I can have it all together on the outside, but God's really not interested in that. He's interested in what's going on on the inside. The heart. And the heart is this mysterious reality that allows you and I to experience the fullness of life. And it, it includes emotion, but it's not limited to emotion. And according to the Scriptures, the heart can be grieved, it can be troubled, it can be broken, it can be pierced, it can be divided, it can be joyful. The heart is the truest expression of who we are. And so we must strive to recognize that this heart, not our beating fleshly heart, it's the heart within us. It's a treasure. We don't think of it far too much like that. So recognize the treasure. Notice secondly, notice secondly, okay, you got it, good. Prioritize the task. You see, having identified the biblical mandate to recognize the treasure of the heart, we must prioritize the task of guarding the heart. I'll be honest with you. Uh, uh, I love not only leading people to Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. I think sometimes we think, well, that's where it ends, you know? We, 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 we got them to Jesus, we got them baptized. But we're, we're not commanded to stop there. We've got to disciple them, right? Help them to grow. And, and, I, and living, I've used all sorts of discipleship materials out there. And they're great. I mean, they teach you about tithing, giving, praying, church attendance, uh, just a whole bunch of things. But you know what? I haven't found any of them that talk about the treasure of the heart of prioritizing the task in guarding that heart. It's overlooked. And I think that's something that we ought to teach new believers. The Scriptures attach such a priority to guarding the heart. And so many times we neglect to guard our heart in the matters of life. And most here this morning could think of somebody who has used an ungodly excuse to justify an ungodly decision. Well, you know, I think about this one. <laughs> this one happens all the time. He really likes me. Oh, that's great. Uh, he treats me good. Well, that's wonderful. Does he know Jesus? Nope, but I'm going to win him. Well, that's great and that's noble, but it goes against what God says in His Word, right? And we use our heart to justify an ungodly decision in the name of spirituality. And we do it all the time. We do it all the time. And that's why it's essential to prioritize the task of guarding the heart. Guarding the heart is more about feeding your soul than just avoiding sin. And when our heart is strong, when it's strong, we're able to resist the temptations that cause the saints 
to stumble. Recognize the treasure, prioritize the task, and notice thirdly, minimize the trash. Look with me back at Proverbs chapter 4. Go back with me there. Proverbs chapter 4, and I want you to notice verse 24 and 25. Minimize the trash. Put away from thee a forward mouth, and that word forward, it just means a double speaking mouth. Double speaking mouth. You ever, you ever seen someone who double speaks? Right? Say one thing here to please you, and then they go over here and say a whole other opposite thing. He says, put it away from you. Let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Right? He says, put away from thee a forward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. We understand what that means, perverse lips. Right? We understand that. Let your eyes look right on. Let your eyelids look straight before thee. You know what I've learned? My son watches where his daddy's eyes look. They do. They're watching. And I, I, I would love to say that I've gotten it right every single time, but it's a challenge, guys, isn't it? It's a challenge. But the Bible says here, look straight ahead. Job said it like this, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I might not look upon a woman in lust. And we're growing up in a culture where just anything goes. I mean, you can't even go through the checkout line in most grocery stores without having to get your kids away from the titles that are on the magazines. I mean, you want to protect them from everything, but we just live in this culture. And you and I must minimize the trash. Guarding the heart includes seeking God, but we cannot ignore the instruction to minimize the trash from our lives. And these verses give the command to put away perverse speech, keep your eyes forward, and choose good paths. As a matter of fact, we kind of get some of the same instruction in the New Testament. I'll read this to you, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Both of those passages reveal that you and I need to remove some trash in our lives so that we can run the race set before us, keeping our eyes straight ahead. Our eyes straight ahead. Look with me at Matthew chapter 23. Keep your hand in Proverbs. We'll go back there. You know, I think if Jesus was here today and uh, he was asked to speak in churches, and he got up and started his message like this, I don't think he'd be welcome back again. But Jesus didn't pull any punches, did he? He always looked at the heart. Look with me there, and notice what he says here. He put us to the Pharisees. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Let me get there. Matthew chapter 23. And I want you to notice what he says in verses 25 to 28. Matter of fact, uh, you know, in your Bible, uh, when you see the word woe, we, we don't use it like 
Jesus used it. You know, we kind of use it today like, whoa, did you see that car? Like, that, that was a nice car. When you see woe in the Bible, it is never used for a good thing. It means something's coming. It means there's a message that's coming that you better listen to. And notice how Jesus starts it off. I mean, he doesn't really even, he just doesn't waste any time. Notice verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites! <laughs> For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess, you blind Pharisee. Clean first that which is within the cup and the platter, then the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. For so you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And I mean, he just keeps going on the woes after that. Jesus made it very clear. You might look good on the outside, but Jesus is concerned with the heart. And the Pharisees look great on the outside. They talk the right talk. They live the law perfectly according to their standards. They, they, they knew how far they could walk on the Sabbath. They knew what they could do. They, they had long flowing religiously filled prayers. But he says you're like a cemetery. You got beautiful stones on the on the on the cemetery, but but inside, you know those those mausoleums, they all have the same thing on the inside. Dead people, bones. And that's what he said. He says, it looks great. You got marble looks wonderful. But I'm looking at the inside. And on the inside, you're filled with extortion, hypocrisy. He says it right there. Excess. And i got to be honest with you. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon said, out of the heart flows the issues of life. A, a pastor told me this one time. I've never ever forgotten it. He said this. He said, a man's not what he thinks he is, but what a man thinks he is. A man's not what he thinks he is, but what a man thinks he is. A lot of truth in that, isn't there? Some trash is easy to identify. Moral corruption, perverse behavior, evil acts that harm others. But what about the more subtle trash that you and I wrestle with? Things like, things that people don't normally think about, like lack of faith and, and, and unwillingness to forgive and materialism and pride and gossip and lust. And here's what I've learned. It doesn't matter. Trash, big or small, it's still trash, isn't it? It's still trash. And... Garbage in is garbage out. It's plain and simple. Right? So does your heart have an accumulation of trash that is built up over time? How many of you in here have ever had a catheterization done in the heart? Anybody? You had to go into the cath lab? Nobody? Oh, okay. Couple. All right. Let's say, wow, that's un unbelievable. So you know how it worked. One day, all of a sudden, you just kind of went up the stairs and a little, a little tight. But you just kind of, ah, I'm just getting older. And so, you know, that kind of went on for a little while, and pretty soon it just got to the place where you got halfway up the steps and you had to take a break or something, 
or something was going on. You said, you know what, I'm going to have to make a, a, an appointment with my doctor. And so you go into the doctor and you explain what's happening. And the doctor says, I know exactly what's happening. You have a blockage. You have a blockage. Well, how, how did that happen? Well, too much sausage and gravy over the years. Right? Too much cholesterol, too much this, too much of that. And, 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 and over the years, it just kind of slowly happens. And then, and then all of a sudden, there's the blockage because there's been accumulation of stuff over the years. And so what happens is you go in and the doctor then takes this tool and he, he takes it and he cleans that out and he puts a balloon in there. You come out of recovery and he says, you're going to feel like a new man. Why? Because the blockage has been removed. And I'm wondering here today as believers in Christ, how many of us have spiritual blockages in our heart because we have never addressed them over the years. We just kind of let them build up over time. Things just don't magically go away. And the only way that you and I can, can solve that issue is to willingly crawl up on the operating table of God and allow Him to do His work by taking the scalpel of His Word, which is quicker than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide to the, uh, the, the piercing asunder of the heart and thoughts and intents and the joints and marrow of the heart. And let Him do His work. You know what happens? When you get that junk off your heart, you feel like a new man. You feel alive again. You feel spiritually clean. You've got to minimize the trash. As your heart builds up trash over time, are there things that need to be dealt with? Listen to me, they just won't magically go away. They just don't disappear on their own. You need to bring that trash to the cross. And let the blood of Jesus Christ remove the trash and the guilt that goes along with it. Notice fourthly this morning and finally, then you need to energize your heart with truth. Notice again, back in Proverbs. Proverbs, notice with me there. Proverbs chapter 20. I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 4. Notice. Proverbs chapter 4, look at verse 20. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Notice, attend to my words, pay attention, listen up, take it in. The emphasis that is given is Solomon is saying that, that what I'm telling you is truth, and we need truth today, don't we? We just live in a culture that is void of truth. I don't even turn the news on anymore. I'll be honest with you, I don't turn it on. Do you realize, I don't care what station you listen to, every time you turn it on, you are listening to someone's agenda. Everyone that has news on has an agenda. And they're putting that agenda to you to get you to believe their narrative. And what have we learned about the news over time? It's just a bunch of lies. It's just a bunch of lies. And so you and I need to energize our heart with truth. Jesus said the truth would set us free, and we live in a culture that is opposed to truth, and culture promotes tolerance over truth. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah spoke about the very day that you and I are in. And this isn't a day that's coming. 
It's here. It's right now. And Isaiah talked about it. Matter of fact, keep your hand there in Proverbs. Look at Isaiah chapter 5. <coughs> Excuse me, verse 20. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Notice, and you have that word again, woe. Right? Well, it's, it's used here again. Notice, this is not coming. These are the days that we're in. Notice what he says in Isaiah 5.20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Are we there? Right? That put darkness for light and light for darkness. Are we there? Right? That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, Isaiah was saying, there's coming a day when everything's going to be flipped upside down. What's good will be evil. And what's evil will become good. And you and I are living in a culture that is, pro that is pushing tolerance over truth. It's the culture we find ourselves in. As a matter of fact, if this Equality Act passes, if this Equality Act passes, then, then churches like Cornerstone Bible Church, churches like this, churches like other ones that I speak in, that preach the Word of God, can be fined, and your pastor will be labeled as a domestic terrorist because they have labeled the truth of God's Word as hate speech. And you know what? Your pastor might go to jail. It's happening in Canada already. It's not like this is in some other country. It's already north of our border. It's happening in California. It's happening in our country. Pastors are going to prison. There are churches that are giving up their, or their uh, 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 tax-exempt status so they have no connection. They said, okay, we'll just pay taxes. We don't want to be connected. They're doing that. They want to be disconnected. And I'll be honest with you, if I have to go to jail for preaching the Word of God, then you know what? I'll go to jail for it. I'm not going to compromise. And you know what? There's coming the day, folks. You better know where you stand. Because you're going to have to choose. You can't have one foot here and one foot over there. Either God says what He says and it's true, and what the world says is false, or God's a liar. You're going to have to choose what you believe. And I hope it's based on the Word of God. I know that's what's preached here. I know that. But there are many places where it's not. There are many places where it's not. And you and I need to energize our hearts with truth. As long as I live, I will never stop sharing the truth of God's Word. And King Solomon reminds us that there is a clear difference between right and wrong, good and bad, righteousness and evil. That's why he said in verse 26 of Proverbs chapter 4, ponder the paths your feet are on. Make sure you're standing on solid ground, on the solid foundation of truth. And let me just remind us, the Word of God is absolute truth. Amen? I've shared this before. I just say it again. I don't know how big that table is. Maybe it's four foot long. Maybe it's three foot long. Only one thing we can do to settle that is do what? Get a what? Get a tape measure. Why? Well, the tape measures, it's a universal standard of truth when it comes to measurement. Have you ever seen anyone argue with a tape measure? Tell the tape measure, you offend me. 
You offend me. I, I, that hurts me that you, that you tell me that's four feet long. Right? No one argues with the tape measure. It's a universal standard of truth. Well, this is the universal standard of truth for life. And when you remove it, everything's left to your own interpretation. Right? That's why we have the problems that we're in. Right? Well, if it feels good for you, do it. If it feels right for you, just do it. Well, what does God say about it? Bring back the standard of truth. So you and I need to energize our heart with truth. Speaking of truth, we are living in an ever-changing world. Just think about all that's changed in the last two years. I mean, it's crazy. You can't even, can't even think of it all. Can't even think of it all. So can I just give you eight things that will never change? And if you want to write these down, write these down. And so when your heart becomes overwhelmed with all the things that are changing around you, can you just be reminded of these eight things? Hide these things in your heart. Energize your heart with these eight things. These are truth. What will never change? God's commission will never change. Mark 16, 15. God said, Jesus said, Go ye therefore into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel, right? And does that mean when COVID's happening and when it's not happening? Yep. That means that no matter what is going on in the world, God's commission never changed. Go ye therefore. Go. It will never change. Mark 16, 15. God's will. God will never change. Malachi 3, 6. I am the Lord. I change not. Uh, you know what? Your circumstances will change. Your job situation will change. Your family will change. Your friends will change. Your career might change. Your health will change. But God will never change. Never. You know what else will never change? God's Word will never change. He promises to preserve it. I know people want to change it. But He promises to preserve it. God's Word will never change. 1 Peter 1. 23. You know what else will never change? Fourthly, God's faithfulness will never change. How many can testify that over the last two years, especially, God took care of you? Can I see some hands? God took care of you. Even when you didn't know how it was going to work. You're gonna, you've, I love what you guys are doing. Testimony time in between the service, right? After I'm done, you're going to get, I think, it's, is her name Brooke? Was it Brooke? Yeah, Brooke is going to give her testimony, right? You're going to hear what God's done in her life. Hey, every single one of us need to be able to look over our shoulder and see how God has taken care of us. God's faithfulness will never change. Deuteronomy 7.9 You know what else will never change? God's purpose will never change. Hebrews 6.17-20 God is immutable. He's immutable. His purposes never change. You know what else will never change? God's love will never change. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That will never change. You and I are not to love the world, but God does love the world. For God so loved the world. We're told not to love the world. God loves the world. We're to love the people of this world, right? And God loves the people of this world. God's love will never change. Number seven, God's judgment will never change. If you're unsaved and you're sitting here this morning, you will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But if you receive Christ as your Savior, that can change. You and I 
As believers, we will also stand before a judgment, the Bema Seat judgment. But that judgment will be a judgment of commendation, not condemnation. There's a difference. If you know Christ, you don't have anything to worry about. If you don't know Christ, then I encourage you to know Him. That can change. But God's judgment will never change. Here's something else that will never change. The believer's destination will never change. Listen to me, folks. Heaven's just a breath away. If you know Jesus, it's one breath away. If you know Christ. And listen, it won't be long. I don't think it's going to be too much longer. It's getting crazier out there. Things aren't falling apart. They're falling into place. But you and I must keep our eyes on glory. Our, our destination will never, ever change. You see, guarding your heart is critical to experiencing all that God desires for your life, and when we recognize the treasure and prioritize the task and minimize the trash and then energize our heart with truth, we place ourselves in a position to, to, be, to receive the blessings of God and the, the, the promises of God. And by guarding your heart, you stay locked on course to what God's will is, and the Bible says it's a wellspring of life. We talked earlier about the great heart surgeon. He takes the scalpel of his word and he performs that open heart surgery that only he can do if you let him. If you've never given your life to Christ, then that's where you start. Lord, I want to give my life to you. I've had enough of my life. I don't know how much of my life is left, but the rest of my life is yours. I prayed that when I was 15 years old at rock bottom. Didn't care if I lived. Didn't care if I died. I was at rock bottom. Couldn't understand how God could love someone like me. But you know what? That's what He does. He loves and He loves and He loves and the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness. If you don't know Jesus, then give your heart to Him. If you're a believer here today, then you and I need to be like David. We need to be like David when he said in the Psalms, Search me, O God, and try my heart, and see if there be any wicked way within me. Maybe it's time for a good heart. Stand with me for prayer. Stand with me for prayer. I don't know your situation in life. Just because you're here doesn't mean you know Jesus. You might know about Him, but doesn't mean you know Him. Many churches have people who know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know Him. I can't look into your heart only you can. And if God is drawing your heart, I don't need to say anything else. You know it. I don't have to convince you that. You know it. But if that's you, 
Don't leave here today. Don't leave here today. It's the most important thing in the whole world. Your life depends on it. But if you're here today, and you know Jesus, but you just kind of grew distant, maybe this whole COVID thing is just, it's just really battled with you. And instead of growing closer to the Lord, you just kind of drifted. It's just, just a little, just a little, but a little bit for a long time. Eventually down the road is a long way, right? Just a little bit. And if that's you this morning, then let God search your heart. Give it to Him. Life's too short. We don't have much more time. We need everybody on board. We need all hands on deck. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. You're the great knower of our hearts. We might look like we have it all together on the outside. Our Facebook posts make it look like everything's wonderful. But then there's real life, real heartache, real pain, real suffering, real questions, real loss. And we got a choice. We can either grow bitter or better. And sometimes we just grow bitter. And so, Lord, would you search our hearts today? If there's one here that does not know you as their Savior, then, Lord, I pray today would be the day of salvation. May they come, talk to me, talk to Larry, talk to some of the others, talk to Mark, and say, I, I, I just, I've got to get this thing settled. I've got to get it settled. Can't go anymore. You work on that heart, Lord. But for those of us that are here this morning, we know you. We're not exempt from allowing blockages to block our fellowship with you. It just happens over time. Choices made. Thoughts given traction. Stepping away from your word. Stepping away from your fellowship. Stepping away from other believers. Isolating ourselves. And that over a period of time causes blockages and we begin not to hear your voice like we used to. That can all change this morning. So Lord, if there's ones here today that just need their hearts cleansed supernaturally, supernaturally, then Father, would you do that this morning? We're trusting you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for your forgiveness. And we're thankful that you are the one who cleanses our heart. Make us vessels fit for your use. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Mark's going to come and lead in.